Tonight on Huckabee, Congressman Dan Crenshaw seeks an end to political outrage. Seema Verma on Medicare and Medicaid actions for COVID-19. And country stars Big and Rich join us. And now, here's Mike Huckabee. And welcome to our fourth edition of the Huckabee Show in Exile. We call it the coronavirus version. Now, we've had to pretty much abandon our theater and give up the studio audience. We end up interviewing all of our guests remotely by way of Skype. And we're keeping me about 500 miles away from Keith and Trey, who as of this week are about 50 miles away from each other. That, my friend, that is true social distancing. But there's an old church song that I sang when I was a child. It's called Count Your Blessings. Do you remember it? It went something like this. Count your blessings. Name them one by one. Count your blessings and see what God has done. I know some people are having a hard time counting their blessings this Easter weekend, hold up at home, unable to physically go to church, and finding that online or televised services may be better than nothing, but certainly no substitute for the fellowship, encouragement, and the interaction of church. But among my blessings, I'm spending more time with my family, especially my grandkids. In fact, more than I've ever done before. They've all come to live in quarantine at our house, and none of us have left this house for over four weeks. We've got groceries and supplies delivered, and we even spray the boxes with disinfectant when they arrive. I'm blessed to live in the USA, which despite all of its flaws, is a better place to be during a pandemic than anywhere else on earth. I'm blessed to live in a time when there is an internet that allows my grandchildren to continue their school classes online and allows us to be able to order and have things shipped right to us to avoid having to go out and possibly be exposed to the coronavirus. But blessings sometimes come with burdens. Like you, I am so out of my normal routine that I gotta check my phone to see what day of the week it is. Apart from technology, it's like a real life version of Swiss Family Huckabee without the cool treehouse. And frankly, there are moments when everybody is a little bit on edge from the lack of a new set of faces and voices just to interact with. Now, you may know I don't drink alcohol at all. I've never even tasted beer. It just doesn't appeal to me, but alcohol is the main ingredient in hand sanitizer and disinfectants. I gotta be honest, there have been some moments when the stress is such that I've considered disinfecting myself from the inside out by drinking the stuff rather than just rubbing it on my hands. And because my life before the virus involved being on airplanes four to six days every week, I've kind of noticed my luggage shedding tears, my garaged car whimpering from not going to the airport. And I must admit, when I see planes fly overhead, I get a little homesick. Now, with all my events canceled for at least three months, my income has been slashed, and the small businesses that I own are hanging on only because I'm dipping into my savings and retirement funds in order to meet payroll and cover benefits and utilities. But in spite of all that, I have blessings, lots of them. I'm counting them one by one, and I'm looking and seeing what God has done. He's reminded us that our service workers are truly important, 
and hopefully we'll forever be grateful to truck drivers, delivery people, stockers and cashiers at the grocery store, as well as the wait staff at our favorite eateries that we truly miss seeing, as well as the delicious meals that we miss by not being able to go out and eat. We will hopefully never take nurses and doctors and medical technicians for granted again. And we've learned to be grateful for simple things, a beautiful sunset, fresh air, a meal cooked with input from the entire family, and a cleanup shared by the whole family. Well, most of the time. I mean, even our dogs help out with that. Look, we all wanna get back to normal, but remember, the first Easter was at Passover. It commemorated God sparing Israel from the plague of death. Jewish families huddled together in their homes to share a meal, as well as memories, spared from the plague by the blood on their door and their faith that God was with them. Yes, Passover was our Jewish spiritual ancestors trusting God. They worshiped at home and they spent time counting their blessings and naming them one by one. I hope you have a blessed Passover and a happy Easter as you count your blessings and see what God has done. This week, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell described the crisis facing America as a healthcare crisis with an economic crisis strapped to its back. The Centers for Medicare and Medicaid have just approved nearly $34 billion to healthcare providers. Will it be enough? Well, one of the key people in the federal government determining that is our next guest. Joining me now is a member of President Trump's Coronavirus Task Force, CMS Administrator Seema Verma. Seema, delighted to have you here. How well are we doing uh, flattening the curve, dealing with social distancing, and getting this where we might be able to see light at the end of the tunnel other than the proverbial train? Well, at this Easter weekend, there are reasons for hope. I mean, it's been a tough week. We've seen a high number of deaths in New York, and our hearts and minds are with the friends and families who have lost loved ones. But the good news is we are starting to see um, some some communities, Washington State, California, where they've actually are starting to flatten the curve. We're not seeing, you know, a lot of as many new cases. Um, they're still getting new cases, but the numbers aren't as high. And even in New York, we're hearing that the number of hospitalizations is being reduced, going down dramatically. So I think that gives us all um, a lot of hope that the hard work that Americans are doing to implement 30 days to, to slow the spread is having an impact. Prior to uh, joining the administration overseeing CMS, uh, you're one of the nation's experts on the Medicaid program, which my guess is is going to be stretched in many states because of so many people unemployed, uh, facing dramatic uh, income losses. How will states begin to fashion their Medicaid programs to meet those needs without busting both the federal and the state budgets? Well, that's certainly a concern. And the president and the vice president have been clear, you know, we don't want people to worry about their bills um, in relation to coronavirus. So one of the things that Congress has done is allocated funding for people that are uninsured to pay for their testing. Um, in the Medicaid program, the Trump administration has given out almost 48 waivers to states to give them more flexibility for their Medicaid programs because they may see more people coming to the program for coverage. Um, the other thing that we've done is with the CARES Act implementation, Congress gave us $100 billion, and a portion of that will also go towards helping providers that are treating people that are uninsured. 
I think a lot of people in our audience may not be that familiar with what a Medicaid waiver means. So uh, saying 48 waivers means that 48 custom ways in which states can meet the needs of their people. Having been a governor, nothing is more important to me than, than hearing that. And you've been one of the primary champions of Medicaid waivers, not only at CMS, but prior to that working with states. Explain to our audience why we need to have um, flexibility in the Medicaid program, because it is a good program. It genuinely helps a lot of people, but there needs to be flexibility so each state can meet their population needs. That's right. And having worked on the Medicaid program from the state level and the federal level, I think that states, um, governors, their legislature, uh, they're closer to the people that they serve and they have a better idea of the specific needs of their community. And so they should be in charge of their programs. And I think it's important for the federal government to provide some, obviously, the support and the guidelines. Um, but we need to get rid of bureaucracy. And so not only are we doing that in the Medicaid program, but we're doing it across the healthcare system, especially um, at this time when the nation is facing a pandemic, there's a lot of regulations that get in the way of our healthcare providers being able to provide good care for our patients. And so that's what we've been focused on is just removing regulations and giving more flexibility, whether it's for our state government partners or for healthcare workers on the front lines. Seema, do you anticipate that when we sort of get the economy going again, that it will be gradual, sort of ramping up, certain maybe small businesses can open and uh, there'll be certain services that will be allowed to get back in business, maybe be a while before big events, stadiums filled with people, concert arenas. Is that what we're going to see or will it be flipping the switch and everybody goes back to work? I think it's fair to say it's not going to be a flip of the switch, that it'll be a more gradual getting back to normal. Um, the president's been very clear that he wants us to get back to normal as quickly as possible. And so we're having conversations about what that, what are those steps that we need to take. Um, some of the guidance that CDC just put out this week uh, was for workers, essential critical care workers, our first responders, people working in grocery stores, um, frontline essential workers, you know, what do they do if they've been potentially exposed? And we put out guidance about, you know, making sure they stay six feet away from their employees. Um, if they're not showing any symptoms, they can go back to work with a mask as long as they're staying away, keeping that social distance. So those, those steps that we took are important not only for today, but I think they'll be important to guiding our decision making about getting back to normal and taking those gradual steps. Um, so I think that was really important and kind of evidence of the work that we are and the time that we are spending on trying to get us all back to normal. I don't understand the controversy that seems to have erupted over the uh, potential use of uh, what has been uh, a medication for lupus and sometimes for malaria. Uh, Plaquenil is the commercial name. Doctors have prescribed it in many cases, thousands across the world. It seems to have been effective. I understand there hadn't been, you know, full-blown clinical trials, but some people act like it's an incredibly dangerous thing for a doctor to make the decision to prescribe that for his or her patient. So. Help me understand how this became controversial. Sure. Well, you know, let me first say that it's important for doctors and patients to make decisions about care, about their care. Um, I think what the president has been very consistent in saying is that when 
Patients are facing life and death decisions. He wants their doctor to have every tool in the toolkit to treat them. And they've got to make a decision about what treatments are going to be the most effective. Um, I think some of the concern is that, you know, we're still gathering evidence on this, and we're going to continue to do that. There's a clinical trial that was announced by the NIH. But in the meantime, you know, if you're facing a life or death situation, we want to make sure that people have every tool at their disposal to fight the disease. Sima Verma, Administrator for the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services. We cer certainly appreciate your time tonight, and thank you for joining us. A delight to have you. Thanks, Governor, and happy Easter. Happy Easter to you, too. You can keep up with the latest on the government's response to the pandemic at coronavirus.gov. And follow Administrator Verma on Twitter at Sema CMS. Now, if you'd like more of my straightforward take on the news and what's happening in our world, be sure to watch Facts of the Matter. Just head to Huckabee.tv right after the show. Right now, here's Keith Bilbrey to give you tonight's great lineup. Well, tonight, Congressman Dan Crenshaw plus country music duo Big and Rich. Then the inspiring real-life story of Centoria Brown-Long. And a special performance by Charlie Daniel right here on Huckabee. Bill O'Reilly reveals the weaponizing of the coronavirus. And rock guitar legend Ted Nugent joins us. As deaths from the coronavirus continue to grow, Americans are trying to bounce back from economic, social, and health setbacks due to a virtual shutdown of our entire planet. How soon can we really expect to get the country back to normal, whatever that is? Well, my next guest is the author of a new book called Fortitude, American Resilience in the Era of Outrage. He's a decorated Navy SEAL who deployed to Iraq no less than five times. He was severely injured in an IED explosion, lost his sight completely in one eye. He has distinguished himself in his first term in Congress as a calm, clear-thinking conservative. Please welcome Texas Congressman Dan Crenshaw. Congressman, I'm delighted to have you here. I'm going to jump right into something in the book that I thought was remarkable. It's the story, you were eight years old, and your mother beat you in a game of croquet you're pretty ticked off because you thought she should have let you win. I thought it was remarkable how that had an impact on you. Tell us about it. It, it did, and the impact is this. You, you don't get to win just because you feel entitled to it. And we, we all talk about participation trophies in our culture, and I think what that story illustrates is that I never got participation trophies. Uh, we, we got trophies if we won, and you don't get to win just because you're eight. Uh, that seems heartless at first, and it seems it seems like like you know there's not enough compassion there for um, for people. But the reality is is that you you can't start off in life teaching somebody uh, the wrong values and, and teaching somebody that there there's no consequences to their actions. And I, I make a, a larger point about that in, in this book. You know, I was uh, especially struck that you discuss how people have become. I guess self-proclaimed whiners and victims. Everybody's not a victim all the time. And, and that's, I think, a power of your book. You, you mentioned even in your own life, you had some serious setbacks, but they could have been worse. I, I thought it was remarkable to, to have gone through what you've gone through in war 
and you didn't look at it and said, oh, poor is me, whoa, I've had it worse than anyone. That was not your perspective. And I, I think that was the overriding theme in the book Fortitude that really was powerful. Yeah, so there's two things there to note. Uh, one is is the fact that our culture has elevated victimhood to an extraordinary degree, where and, and where, I, where I talk about the old hero archetypes of Superman or or Jesus Christ or or or, or other people in history, and how we used to look up to them as the heroes that that we should be more like because they are somewhat perfect in their judgment and in their attributes, but these days. You know, for Superman to to still be a hero, he would have to be a victim, right? He would have to be telling a story of victimhood against some kind of oppressor. That's the new narrative that's being spun uh, across our culture, and it's extremely unhealthy. And as it pertains to real victimhood, as it pertains to real hardship, you know, for instance, right now during this pandemic, there are plenty of people who are actually victimized by this, and, and I don't want to I don't want to dismiss that. But what do you do about it? Um, you can wallow in it or you can tell yourself a different story about it. And, and the way I illustrate that is, is telling my own story uh, about, about do I have to wear an eye patch or a prosthetic eye? Do I have to wear these big Coke bottle glasses when I really can't see because I'm pretty much blind at this point? Or do I get to? Do I get to wear a cool eye patch or do I get to understand really the, the gift of sight? Now, this, this, this may seem silly at first to people. It may seem like you're just faking yourself out, and maybe you are. But the point is, is you have to control your own story and control your own destiny. Otherwise, you really, you really are, um, you, you, you are at the mercy of external forces, and that's a helpless place to be. Congressman, I felt that one of the, uh, the gifts of the book is that it's not so much uh, a book about you, it's a book about all Americans. But you focus on that most of our battles are more mental than they are anything else. And I thought about that because most of us think of a Navy SEAL as a person who is uh, maybe the most bulked up, uh, absolutely physically stout and capable person in our entire country. But you speak of not only being a Navy SEAL, but other battles in life as being as much mental as they are physical. What do you mean by that? Yeah, and we say the same thing about SEAL training. Uh, you do have to reach a certain level of physical preparedness. That goes without saying. And, of course, we all think in the SEAL teams that we are the strongest and best-looking people in America. Um, that doesn't mean we're correct, though. <laughs> uh, but we also say that 90% of SEAL training is certainly mental. Um, you, you reach a certain level of, of preparedness physically, but that only gets you so far. And in fact, what I noted is that a lot of the guys who are the best physically prepared, you know, those CrossFit athletes, those professional athletes, they come to buds and they're not used to failing. What they don't realize is you will fail. Physically, you will fail. Your body will fail you multiple times in an hour uh, throughout buds training. And that's psychologically devastating. It's psychologically devastating to them and they end up quitting. And so it, it, the, the mental fortitude to get through life, whether it's buds training or the next eight hours at the job that you're not a huge fan of, uh, this book honestly has lessons for, for all of you and, and, and the right way to think about it. It really is for everybody. And I think that's what came through so very vividly. This is a book for people who maybe think, uh, you know, my life's just so overwhelmed with tragedy and difficulty. I love the uh, the, the sub-theme of resilience. It's about bouncing back. And let's talk about resilience on a national scale. Uh, 
Congress has passed some mm -hmm. very expensive packages to try to get our economy stirred back. Uh, from your perspective, how long is it going to take to uh, to see America back on its feet, strong, vibrant, going again? Yeah, I, I think it's coming sooner than later. I, I also think that it needs to differentiate between states and localities. Uh, you know, New York won't have the same bounce back that Texas does for a lot of reasons that I think are obvious, but frankly, not talked about enough. For instance, the fact that New York has a population density that far exceeds anywhere else in America. It should never have surprised us that New York would be the epicenter. It should have prepared earlier there. Um, but the rest of the country should be able to bounce back quicker. It still has to be done very responsibly, and we have to explain what our strategy is going forward very carefully. There will be a new normal. Uh, Dr. Fauci is right. I do not foresee us shaking hands for a very long time. That doesn't mean we can't get back to work. Well, I hope it's soon. I truly do. Uh, we're grateful for the work you're doing in Congress. We hope you'll keep up that good work because we need a whole lot more like you on Capitol Hill. Thank you for joining us. Hey, thanks for having me, Mike. Appreciate it. Well, we may not have many Dan Crenshaws, but one thing is for sure. We only have one Keith Bilbrey. He's standing by with details on Dan Crenshaw's book, How to Get It, which you'll want to do, and much more. Here's Keith. Thanks, Mike. Fortitude, American Resilience in the Era of Outrage is available on Amazon and at your local bookseller. You can listen to the Congressman's podcast called Hold These Truths through your favorite podcast app and follow him on social media at Dan Crenshaw TX and at Rep Dan Crenshaw. Next, country music's Big and Rich and the incredible story of Centoria Brown Long. Then the inspirational Reverend Alan Jackson and Charlie Daniels performs on Huckabee. Go to MikeHuckabee.com and sign up for his free newsletter and follow at GovMikeHuckabee on Twitter. Welcome back. In 2003, my next guest exploded onto the music scene and country music has never been the same. As America's Technicolor Cowboys, this duo is championing their Wild West motto that great music has no boundaries. Together, the bond of brotherhood of Big Kenny Alphan and John Rich has produced genre-altering hits like Save a Horse, Come Into Your City, and Holy Water. Big and Rich, welcome to the show. Great to have you guys with us by way of Skype. Thank you, Governor. Awesome. Great to be here. First of all, we're going to show a little clip in just a bit of this incredible song uh, called Stay Home that you guys have done in honor of the coronavirus. Uh, Governor Bill Lee of Tennessee encouraged the uh, celebrities and artists throughout uh, Nashville to uh, maybe do something to encourage people during the social distancing. Uh, a lot of people did things. You guys, I mean, knocked it out of the park. Uh, what was the inspiration behind the song that is just going viral these days? You know, our country that uh, can't work, our country's paralyzed, so we want people to stay home. But all the ads you see on TV that tell you to stay home are a little depressing, to be honest with you. And we thought, you know, what if we could do a public service announcement wrapped in a big and rich, uh, high energy song where it would stick in your head so you get the message and it puts a grin on your face simultaneously. Thus, Stay Home was born. 
And I was in a studio. I was just reading this uh, email as I'm walking back into the house. My phone rings and it's John on the phone going, listen to this. And he's playing this chorus. And I'm thinking to myself, man, this is exactly what everyone needs to hear right now. This is exactly what the world needs to hear right there, right now. I mean, we do have to shut it down so we can get on with our lives to get through this thing. And uh, it was just such a, a, a perfect way to do it. And, and you know, bringing a smile can't get no better than that. Well, you know, most of the uh, admonitions to stay home and wash our hands and use sanitizer, I mean, they're kind of boring. Uh, it gets a little old after a while. I get it. Wash my hands, use sanitizer, don't touch anything, don't touch anybody, don't hug or handshake. I want us to play just a little bit of the clip of the great Big and Rich song, Stay Home, and we're going to talk about it afterwards. Here's Big and Rich with a clip from Stay Home. We're all in this together. No, friend, you ain't alone. All you gotta do is stay home. I've grilled the skin plum off my hands. If y'all know what I mean, I know without a doubt my hands have never been so clean. The shelves are bare and empty because some people just don't care. I got one roll of toilet paper and I'm down to my last square. Stay home. Stay home. You know, I'm afraid, guys, that that is way too true for a lot of people down to their last <laughs> roll of toilet paper. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the I mean, lyrics this of this are like, fantastic. <laughs> this is like grandma got run over by a reindeer for the quarantine. I mean, that's what this song is. You know, it puts a grin on your face. You know, you're feeling good right now, Governor, just hearing those silly lyrics come through. I will tell you that uh, the great Larry Gatlin, who I know you're friends with, he wrote the lines, I've yes. railed the skin plum off my hands, if y'all know what I mean. That came from Larry Wayne. So, you know, we, we were just goofing around <laughs> on the phone, and, and and this song happened. We hope it gets the point across. Uh, stations are playing at Coast to Coast right now at Country Radio and other places, by the way. And, uh, you know, we hope people, uh, we hope they do stay home and, and get a grin on their face at the same time. And honestly, you know, Kenny and I never thought we'd ever say something like this being singers and songwriters, but the day this song is never played on the radio again will be the greatest day that ever happened. <laughs> Amen to that. Amen to yeah, that. Kenny, Kenny, I bet you've I bet you've never heard uh, John Rich say, boy, I hope they quit playing this one. That's that's absolutely the truth, but he's he's certainly right on the, the point there. I mean, you know, we have a whole community of musicians and entertainers here in this town that are so ready and just itching to get back out there and, and entertain and perform for all of our fans from coast to coast and around the world. So, you know, we want to do whatever we've got to do right now to shut this thing down. And this is our greatest defense is to stay home. You know, humor has a powerful healing effect. I mean, it really does. And it releases endorphins in the body. I mean, it's a physiological reaction when people are amused. I, I think right now, there's never been a time that I can remember as an American, maybe since 9-11, that people need to find their laugh again. They need to find something funny, need to be able to put a smile on their face because a lot of people are depressed. They're stuck at home. Uh, they feel isolated and lonely and depressed. And and, and what I think you guys have done is more than just give them a, a cute song, uh, but you've really given them some humor. I, I don't know if that was your intention, but it's <laughs> certainly the effect. Well, you know, running through my mind was, 
What would Roger Miller say if he was quarantined right now? What would Mel Tellis say? <laughs> what is Ray Stevens thinking right now? You know, those, those were the guys that were on my mind. And I thought, you know what, let's channel into that because those are some of the greatest humorists that ever wrote country music. So, you know, Kenny and I are just trying to follow in that line and, you know, give, give America a song that'll help get them by. Hey, Big Kenny, you guys, uh, like all the artists right now, uh, we're scheduled to be doing concerts and events and uh, appearances. Now, you know, all those are being canceled. That's got to put a big dent in not just your schedules, but for your fans. Uh, you know, I, I know that you mentioned you're anxious to get back on the road, but this is hurting a lot of people that set up the gear and drive the trucks and the buses. It's an impact, isn't it? Absolutely, it's an impact. I mean, across the board, you know that everyone out there is, is hurting. Um, you know, it's not just the fact of, of having to stay at home, having to do what we have to do right now to, to get through this pandemic, but it's going to be a, a huge economic crunch on so many. Uh, it's a huge uh, physical toll on so many. You think about you know, all of our healthcare workers out there on the front lines right now. I mean, they're dealing with some of the toughest times I've, I'm sure they've, they've ever seen in their, their lives. It's like a, a war zone. I, I hear them describe some of these hospital scenes. Uh, you know, truck drivers are having to work. The, the rest areas are closed down. Um, it's just making it, it's, it's tough on everyone. You know, we pray a lot for everyone and, and um, you know, just trying to help out wherever we can. And, Again, I think a, a song like this, just keeping every one's spirits up probably helps as much as anything we can do right now. It's better than a hand washing. Big Kenny and John Rich, thank you guys so much. Thanks for putting it in perspective and giving us something to love and appreciate in the midst of a coronavirus. I love you guys. Thanks for joining us. And uh, I want Keith Bilber to tell everybody how they can keep in touch with Big and Rich and how they can hear the whole song, Stay Home. You can purchase Big and Rich's Stay Home and their latest album, Did It for the Party, online and everywhere music is sold. Stay connected with Big Kenny and John for details of their peace, love, and happy hour tour at bigandrich.com. Coming up, the unbelievable real-life story of Centoria Brown Law. Good news from Reverend Alan Jackson. And later, Charlie Daniels performs on Huckabee. And our thanks to Trey Corley and the Music City Connection for bringing us back in. And do you notice how they did that with social distancing? Pretty clever. Well, my next guest was a victim of childhood abuse, sex trafficking, and was sentenced to life in prison for murder at the age of 16. But then a miracle happened. It's all in her new book, Free Centoya, My Search for Redemption in the American Prison System. Centoya Brown Long, thank you so much for joining us. Delighted to have you here. Thank you for having me. First of all, let's talk about how at age 16 did you get into so much trouble that you were basically sentenced for the rest of your life in prison? That's a great question. Um, when things like this happen, everyone's always looking for an explanation. So my book, I really went into detail about everything that went on, tracing all the way back from when I first began having issues in kindergarten. 
Um, these were issues where I felt that because of my ethnicity, I didn't belong because I was adopted. I felt like I didn't belong in any particular peer group, really felt like an outcast. Um, spent a lot of time trying to find a place where I did actually feel that I was accepted. Ended up getting in trouble, hanging around some of the wrong crowds. And that led to me being on the streets of Nashville by the time that I was 15 years old. You know, Centoya, when I look at you now, I see this beautiful young lady that could be uh, an actress, a model. And it's hard for me to believe that you were in solitary confinement uh, for almost two years. I mean, there's a different, uh, a different Centoya than the one that you must have been not very long ago. It's hard for me to believe too, Governor. Um, I am absolutely a new creation that is completely because of the grace of God. Um, my life is mm. completely different than what it was. I spent two years in solitary confinement from the time that I was 16 to the time that I was 18. Um, a lot, a lot of psychological warfare went on in that in that room. A lot of psychological warfare that I endured throughout my incarceration. But by the grace of God, here I am of sound mind and free. What turned your life around? What was it that took you from solitary confinement, an angry young lady, to somebody who just glows with an aura of joy that we see today? It was a very long journey. Um, started out with me really just wanting better for my life, looking over my past and all the situations that I continue to find myself in. I wanted something different. I wanted to, to grow and to be better. And I would say that my transformation wasn't complete until I found Christ. That was after I met my husband and he introduced me in a way that I had never been introduced before. I learned how to have a personal relationship with him and I learned how to forgive myself, to forgive others. And I don't have any anger, any bitterness, and that is all because of him. I know you're spending a lot of your time now helping other people who are going through issues of sex trafficking, uh, helping people who are incarcerated. Uh, how does that help you to be able to help these other people who many of whom are where you once were? For me, I just see that God's hand is really in my life. Everything that I've gone through, it was for a reason. And everything that I do now, I do for his glory. The things that I went through when I was a young girl, there are still young girls out there going through that now. And if my testimony can help them prevent the life that I have led up until this point, if my testimony can help people prevent other young people from falling into that trap, then I'm here for it. So it's, it's necessary. In your book, you, uh, you outline what it's like to be free, not just free from prison, but free on the inside. And I think that's something that uh, a lot of people may not understand, that you went into prison one, Centoya, you came out someone different. Uh, also, you've been a very big advocate for the criminal justice reform movement that was a bipartisan effort uh, that President Trump signed and has been uh, really significant. Why is that important to you personally, as well as why is that important to the country? So prison reform, sentencing reform, it's important to me personally because I know that no one is beyond redemption. I know that God is able to change anyone's life around. He's able to change any story. And we can't necessarily look at one moment in time, at one decision, 
and make an assumption on what that person is going to be for the rest of their life. In terms of actually reforming the way that we treat prisoners, these are individuals where nine times out of 10, they're going to be released back into the community. And we should really start thinking about who do we want living next to us? Because that is a possibility. Who do you want your children to come into contact with? So it's important for us to make sure that we have programming, to make sure that we have opportunities for individuals to better themselves while they're incarcerated, because it's a problem that affects all of us. Centoya, one final quick question. When you were told you were gonna be set free, take us back to that moment and what you experienced when they said, you're getting out. That was such an incredible moment. So before I was ever even told that I would have a hearing, the Holy Spirit had spoke to my husband and let him know that I would be released. At that time, my relationship with the Lord wasn't where it should be. So I was a little skeptical, but I started to see how things were unfolding. And I saw that even though my case hadn't gone as though I had planned, God had a plan the whole time. And his plan is always better than ours. So I just started having faith and believing and receiving the word. And lo and behold, as I walked down the sidewalk, it dawned on me, here it is. The Lord has set me free. I'm about to walk into this visitation gallery and my attorney is gonna tell me that I'm going home. And that's exactly what happened. Well, it's a beautiful story, Centoya. Thank you for sharing it in your book. And uh, I want our own Keith Bilbrey to tell our folks how to get Centoya's book and read this incredible story from prison to freedom. Centoya, thanks again for being with us. Thank you so much, Governor. Well, Centoria Brown-Long's inspiring life story, Free Centoria, My Search for Redemption in the American Prison System, is available now at Amazon.com and wherever fine books are sold. Be sure to get your copy right away. Coming up, good news from Reverend Alan Jackson and country music's Charlie Daniels performs here on Huckabee. Welcome back. My next guest is heard each week on radio, podcast, and can be seen right here on TBN. He's the senior pastor of the World Outreach Church in Nashville and is the author of the new book, Intentional Faith, Aligning Your Life with the Heart of God. We welcome Pastor Alan Jackson. Pastor, great to have you with us, and I'm going to get right to this. When I hear the term intentional faith, I guess the cynic in me says, isn't all faith intentional? I wish it were. I think, unfortunately, we've been coached to have a rather passive faith. I think the general imagination is that we make an appointment with God on the weekend and we show up for our 60 minutes and the rest of the week is ours. And then if God wants something other than that, he'll let us know. But I think really the, the, what God intends is us to seek him. So faith is a far more on purpose thing. You know, I'd be happy if I woke up tomorrow five pounds lighter but I probably won't do that unless I intend it to happen. So I'm trying to invite people away from a passive faith and a bit more of an intentional response to a living God. Uh, let's talk about the hostility that it seems like the world has toward Christianity today, especially in America. Person used to be, you say you were a Christian, oh, bravo. Now, uh, if you tell people you are a believer, uh, 
you're scorned. I mean, it's it's rough out there. Why? I think those of us that are Christ followers haven't really honored our Lord. You know, if people said, well, you're welcome, but we don't want you to bring your faith, we've been willing to go forward anyway. If you invited me to dinner and told me I couldn't bring my wife, I'm not coming to dinner. <laughs> and I've determined I'm not going any place that doesn't welcome my Lord. But I think if those of us that imagine ourselves to be Christ followers will have a change of heart and revisit our allegiance to Jesus and our fidelity to him, we'll find him to be far more welcome in the public square. I'm ready to see Jesus welcome on college campuses again, in the halls of the hospitals, in the courtrooms. I think that's been our part of our heritage, and I'm not willing to relinquish it. To follow up on that, uh, you know, there are people who say, as Christians, we just need to stay out of uh, all things public, whether it's uh, politics or entertainment. Just stay away from that stuff. Just go to church, pray, love God, and leave it alone. What's wrong with that? There's nothing wrong with that. We have the freedom of speech, which means even idiots can speak. But I believe there's truth and you can know it. And our nation was founded on a heritage of faith. And I will defend the people's right to express that opinion. But I have chosen another pathway. And I intend to use my strength and my abilities and whatever voice the Lord gives me to invite people to embrace a personal faith that is transforming. And it doesn't need to be left in the privacy of our home. It needs to occupy the public square. If we don't have a change of heart along Main Street, we'll never see a change of heart in Washington, D.C. Well, Pastor, one thing I'm very aware of, and that is your support for Israel. You, uh, you lead groups to go and visit firsthand. Uh, Israel is an important part for many believers. For you personally, why is it important that you lead your congregation and people to understand the connection between Christians and the land of Israel? Well, as you so well know, there's something unique about Israel. Someone once told me that you don't choose Jerusalem, Jerusalem chooses you. And I went the first time when I was a boy, and I've been back and forth ever since. And uh, there's a bit of my heart, I think, that stays there. It's the only place in the world I've ever visited where I look forward to returning. But we have a, those of us who are Christians, we have a heritage that's inseparable from the Jewish people. Uh, we didn't arrive at this covenant we have with God alone. We are the the, our story began in that Hebrew Bible in the pages of Genesis, and we're still seeing that fulfilled today. So I think to try to imagine that we understand our faith without understanding our connection to the Jewish people and the land of Israel and the city of Jerusalem is almost impossible. You know, Pastor, I've been in your congregation on several occasions. You have some of the most wonderful, uh, absolutely joyous people in a congregation I've ever seen. I've often said that's a reflection on a pastor. And I think that there's a certain joy that you have. It's evident in your book, Intentional Faith. Uh, I hope it's something that is contagious as well as intentional. And we're deeply grateful for your being here with us today. You're very kind, Governor. Thank you for your leadership on this platform and many other. And you're right, with an intentional faith, God will meet us. It'll change the trajectory of our lives and I believe our country. Well, Pastor Alan Jackson's book is called Intentional Faith, and I hope you'll get a copy. Keith Bilbrey is going to tell us how to find out more about Pastor Alan Jackson and his ministry, and he's going to do it right now. Intentional Faith, Aligning Your Life with the Heart of God is available now at Amazon.com. You can also order the book, learn more about it, and find Alan Jackson's sermons, videos, podcasts, social media pages, and much more, all at AlanJackson.com. Coming up, Charlie Daniels performs on Huckabee. 
Before we end tonight's show, I've got some closing words I want to share with you. But first, country music and southern rock pioneer Charlie Daniels was with us not too long ago. And we love us some Charlie Daniels. One of the songs that he did for us is a great tune about America that is so appropriate for all of us right now. We recorded it then, but we're introducing it to you tonight for the first time on our show. You're going to love it as much as I do, I'm sure. I mean, who doesn't love Charlie Daniels? Here's Charlie Daniels with How We Roll. And stay put. I'll see you right after.
Well, you can get more of Charlie's music everywhere music is sold. And be sure and stay connected with his many projects at charliedaniels.com. I know you're going to want to. Well, our Jewish friends are observing the Passover this week, and Christians celebrate the resurrection of Christ at Easter. Easter is usually the biggest crowd all year at the church, but this year, most churches in America are closed, and they're conducting services online only. I got to be honest, I miss being with my church family in person, but I also realize that the church isn't a building, it's people. I like doing our show in front of an enthusiastic and appreciative audience in our theater in Nashville. But even if the theater is empty, we're still here, bringing you the Huckabee Show in creative ways. And whenever we're not able to have something, that's when we really start to miss it, isn't it? Okay, I'll be glad when the quarantines and the stay-at-home orders are lifted and we're all back in our theater. I'm never gonna take it for granted again. And I can't wait to get back to my church in person. Yeah, I miss seeing my pastor, worshiping with my fellow believers, and seeing the smiles of my church family. I don't think I'll ever take that privilege for granted either. If you have to be alone, pick up the phone, call some friends, even send some texts or emails to people that you miss, and just tell them you miss seeing them. Hey, don't invite them over just yet. But do connect with the people that you love and the people you need. But in all of this, remember that Easter reminds us that God showed up in person and even death couldn't keep him away. He promised he'd never leave or forsake us. His love and his presence is bigger than any disease. So a big happy Easter from all of us here at The Huckabee Show. And best wishes to you and your family for a wonderful Easter weekend. Good night, and we'll see you next week.